You are listening to the Inside Out Podcast. Brent Kimball and Michael Anderson discuss all things living the gospel with those inside of the family of God and bringing the gospel to those outside of the family of God. Let's live Inside Out. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 92 of the Inside Out Podcast. I am here as always, but I'm not joined by... Pastor Brent this week. I'm here with Jordan Paris. Jordan, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Okay. Anything on the table? Any question I want to ask? Is that ask. an addition to the question you just asked me? Uh, that's that's an addition to the question I just okay. asked you. Then I will allow it. Okay. What's your biggest regret in life? Biggest regret? No, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm I was kidding. about to answer that. You, I already have. Yeah. You were? Yeah. Okay, what no, is I'm it? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, come on. You can't get my hopes up like What's that. What's your biggest regret? Dash it. My biggest regret in life, I, I kind of wanted to, I kind of could have had a career in sports broadcasting, and so maybe oh. I could have like, uh, could have done like more, more radio programs, because my mom always tells me that I've got a face for radio. You do, yeah. Okay. You're not supposed to agree with that. That's a joke. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> yes. Well, um, it's summertime. Which is not normally the time of year that people think about reading, but I'm, I'm usually always thinking about reading. And I wanted to ask you, oftentimes Brent and I will either share what we're reading, what we've, what we've read, and share it with our, uh, our audience. So my question for you is, have you read or finished any good books lately that you would recommend to our listening audience? Our vast listening audience. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a book that I just finished. It's called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. Yep, that's the book I'd recommend. You want me to talk about it? Okay, I would like to hear more about Crazy I Busy. Now, you've got to find the balance here between giving us enough information to intrigue us about the book, but mm-hmm. not too much to where we go, I felt like I, I've read the book. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it just gives, there's books about busyness. I need it because life's busy and I have a child on the way. And so in preparing for that, I read this book. And rather than giving practical steps on how to be less busy, uh, Kevin DeYoung does a great job at giving a theological perspective on busyness and helps us think through it uh, with a theological lens. And so it was just very helpful to have that perspective and to think through that um, and to understand it's more than just practical steps. There's some as you dig deeper, there's some deep-rooted issues in busyness um, that we can't always see. So I know I'm being a little ambiguous here, but... No. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. That's great. It sounds like a great read. I w- love Kevin DeYoung and his um, the books that he writes are very biblically sound, uh, but also very accessible and generally pretty short. So Yeah, it was nice. Around 100, 120 pages-ish. Yep. So... So that's a that's a great resource. You know, one of the ones that I a couple books that I just finished that I wouldn't hesitate to recommend to uh, the people who are listening out there is uh, "Surprised by Joy." That's a book by C.S. Lewis, and it's sort of an autobiographical sketch of how he came to faith. And there's a there's a pivotal moment in the book uh, when there is uh, a a leading atheist who C.S. Lewis is friends with that that comments about. Uh, the death and subsequent resurrection of Jesus Christ, and and he says that this, this dying God almost makes him want to believe in it, and 
that's just an offhand comment made by a friend of C.S. Lewis that sort of essentially rocks Lewis to his very core. I mean, just this offhand comment that in the moment kind of shakes the foundations of, of his the presuppositions and the things that he had held dear and and he remembered it enough to where he wrote it in his autobiography and so that was such a cool such a cool moment just reminds you of of the fact that god is constantly at work in our world and really for me as i was reading that reminds me of of the words that i'm using uh, have an incredible capacity for good or uh, for evil, and so uh, that was a great, great book. Not not a tremendously long read, and, and pretty accessible. Also, another book that I finished earlier this year, "The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry" by a pastor named John Mark Comer. Uh, he is a pastor down in the city of Portland, and it's just a a great, great book on how to stop and pause. Uh, it offers some biblical wisdom as well as some practical strategies like here's a couple of the strategies that he gives jordan on how we can eliminate hurry from our lives are you ready for these i'm ready uh, one of the practical strategies he gives is to is to drive the speed limit now as somebody who i know and this isn't just because you're from california originally that would be a stereotype that would be you tend to drive slow a little, it's the opposite of slow. Maybe really? A little fast. How would you do with having to drive the speed limit everywhere? My wife says the opposite. She says I drive really slow, so I don't know who to believe here. Okay. Well, you always, or my wife. Always believe your wife. Okay. Okay. So, so I, I think I drive actually under the speed limit. Oh, you do? Or at least the speed limit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't want to say from experience whether or not that's true or false, but that's neither here nor there. Okay, that's one of his strategies. He says to to help you um, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life is to not be in a hurry when you're driving places. Just go the speed limit. But wouldn't that the drive. make you have to make up the time elsewhere? Uh, no, because if you're eliminating hurry, you are planning accordingly. Okay, I got you. Okay, and, yeah. And time is time. Okay, we can't we can't make it up. I know. Or, yep. So. Yeah. Another tip he gives, and this is this like this graded against the very core of my being. He says, when you're grocery shopping, go find the longest checkout line and stand in it. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Have you taken his advice since reading the book? Um, I can confidently tell you I have not one single time. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe it's easier said than done. I. It's the most painful place in that the world to me, standing in a checkout line. But there's there's some truth to it. He's talking about just just kind of being in the moment. So often we we are standing in line someplace and we're doing something else. We're trying to distract ourselves with our phone or anything we can, right? There's all those magazines in the grocery checkout lines. Now I do self-checkout most of the time. Mm -hmm, um, but even then I'm trying to find the fastest line through. And one of his tips to eliminate hurry from our lives is to just just kind of slow down and don't be consumed by this this endless sense of hurry so those are a couple a couple books for you so the first one is crazy busy by kevin DeYoung. yeah another one similar to it 
is uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, and then a classic book by C.S. Lewis, Surprised by Joy. Now, all those books, there'll be links to where you can find them on Amazon in the show description. They'd all be worthwhile additions to your summer reading list. And if you don't have a summer reading list, you could choose one of those as the book you read for the summer, or perhaps maybe the rest of the year. I have a question. What if they're too busy to read these books? Wow. Well, that is a good question. See what I did there? Um, Carve out some time, and or you can listen to an audiobook. Just don't tell Pastor Brent, okay? Because technically, an audiobook is listening and not necessarily reading, but you can still gain some valuable insights from it. But, I mean, that is a good question. What if, what if I'm out there and I don't feel like I have the time to read? Here's what I would tell you that something that I have done is have a, have a bedtime for your mobile device each and every single night where uh, your device, uh, your cell phone, your, your tablet, or your screen, uh, they're off, they're in a drawer, they're in a corner, they're somewhere away from you and to where you have uh, a moment to read each and every single day. Um, a lot of times for, for my wife and I, as parents of younger children, not elementary age kids, um, we put our kids to bed at a certain time each and every single night. And there's usually a gap between when they go to bed and when they go to sleep, where they're kind of restless, they're getting up, going to the bathroom, getting a drink of water. And so instead of settling down and, and watching a, a, a TV show together or a documentary or something, we'll often sit out in the living room during that time and spend some time in reading. So if there's a moment of time where you know there's going to be uh, some sort of activity, that's a great time uh, to dedicate to reading instead of doing other things uh, in your house as well. And then one final thing that has been beneficial for me is every once in a while I will read a challenging book, a book that in uh, many aspects is a bit of a slog to get through. I feel like I'm just having to get through it instead of enjoying reading it. And many books have portions to it that are hard, hard to, to get through. But what I will do with books like that is I will set a page count to read through each and every single day. So maybe that's five pages, 10 pages, 20 pages. Maybe you set yourself a goal to make it through a certain amount of pages each day and suddenly when you're doing small things like that you're finding that you're you're going through books and uh, you're reading way more than you used to so set yourself a goal put your device away and um, utilize some of that uh, time that exists in the margin of your schedule to get some more reading done today with us and us is michael us is me but also our vast listening audience in the lord yeah brent is not here so the term vast listening audience i felt should be put in at least once in the episode and that was its one time Mm -hmm. um i have a question for you okay all right as is the usual on this podcast i usually ask questions and then Brent gives substantive answers. So no pressure I'm ready. here right now. You are very close, very close to the due date of this My, child. Yes. When is it going to happen? 
You're asking for my guess? I'm asking or? for your authoritative statement to the church family. My authoritative statement will be August 3rd. August 3rd. Yep. Okay. That's my guess. Okay. You've had you've had the baby shower. You've gone through the classes. You've gone through it, zero classes, but we've had the baby shower. Okay. You've received instruction and wisdom yes. from people. Yes. Have you gotten like a uh, one piece of advice from somebody that has stuck with you? Maybe there's been some unsolicited advice from somebody about either childbirth or child rearing. Like, is there anything that sticks out in your mind? Something that somebody told you where you went, man, that that was good. Are we talking specifically about labor or training up my child? I- anything. Anything. Any, anything. Um, yeah, I, I had a lot of people during our baby shower, we had a lot of people write notes for advice. Oh. And um, one of the things that we saw repeated a lot was they said, you are their father first and then their friend. Okay. And that was repeated. And then another person said, spank them and then tell you and love them. So okay. that was good too. Yeah. Okay. That was, that was some excellent wisdom. Was that substantive enough? Yeah, that was, that was fine. It's, okay. it's not about me. It's about you and what yeah. you remember. So clearly that was substantive for you. So, mm-hmm. so the, the training and developing, obviously we're excited for you to be able to do that with uh, you and Piper and this baby that's on the way, but you are the family life pastor. So there's an, there's an element of that taking place in your job description, not necessarily, you know, parenting is not in your job description, but f- spiritual formation uh, for children from birth through uh, high school is kind of falls under your purview. So mm-hmm. for folks that might not be familiar with the phrase family life pastor, maybe they've, they've heard of a children's pastor or they've heard of a youth pastor what does it mean to be the family life pastor? It means that my responsibility is not specifically for one age group, whether that's elementary age or teenage age or nursery age, but it would be all inclusive of zero all the way to 18 year olds. That's what I would be responsible for. Okay. Yes. There's okay. more I could say. There is more you could say. So that's what falls under your responsibility. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean that you're working directly with each of those age groups. We have teams and leaders yes. um, who are directly over those areas. But as someone who, so I have uh, three young children. One is in our early childhood area. Mm-hmm. Two are in our City Point Kids area. What's, and it's different for each of those areas, but what is the goal when they come into the building on a Sunday what are we trying to accomplish with with them? Kind of a big, big picture uh, look at that. Yes. Well, one thing we want to do is when we talk about ministering to children, it's also ministry to parents. And so when people do walk in, we understand that our job, whoever is leading that area, is partnering with parents um, in the discipleship of their kids. And so whether that's encouraging the parents that day, welcoming them, resourcing mm-hmm. them, uh, that's a primary focus for us, uh, more than just ministering to the kids, but we also do want to minister to them. And so, um, yeah, I mean, our goal is for, for us to train them up in the ways of God, and that includes a lot of things, but we want to teach them the Bible, formative things, especially like your boys. We want them to understand that the Bible is uh, one big story leading to Jesus, mm-hmm. just very basic, foundational. Uh, we also want them to not just love Jesus in the Bible, but the church, and so uh, we want it to be fun. I think church should be fun for these kids so that as they get older, they're 
associating their love for the Lord with love for the church. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, those are just a few things, but I think the big thing is partnering with parents, equipping them, um, and then training up these kids to love the Lord and the church and to know the word at a foundational level um, and just have fun while doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely vital. Just in seeking to raise up the next generation, it reminds me of um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 as Moses is sort of giving the law to the people again as they're kind of on the edge of entering into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 6, Moses tells them, you're going to drink from wells that you didn't dig. And so he's referring to them taking over these cities and these pre-existing establishments uh, from the people that have been in the area. But I just think uh, for those of us who have been raised in church, we've had the faith handed down to us from parents and guardians or grandparents, we need to maybe understand and probably just take a moment to reflect and think about and be thankful to God for those people in your life who allowed you to drink from wells that you didn't dig yourselves. There are people who are first-generation Christians. Maybe you're listening right now, and you're the one that's digging the well. It's hard, formative, spiritual work, uh, and we acknowledge that and, and are certainly glad for that. But there are many others who are listening who've had the benefit of parents and leaders and other adults speaking into their life and shepherding them along in the faith. And so that's a, a vital part of, of being the church is not just focusing on our current uh, kind of kind of Sunday gatherings in our auditorium, but realizing that children who are in our building are, are part of our ministry as well and looking toward the future there. Now, a key component of, of family life is our, our CSM, which you're directly over. Yes, and which stands for City Point Student Ministry. There we go. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And, I mean, these are pivotal years from the ages of from 12 to 18. Yep, yep. So, 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 many, so many times teenagers are... Either they're influenced by the culture, they're 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 bought into the culture and certain narratives that we would say are antithetical to a gospel centric worldview. Uh, you deal with with teenagers and you minister to teenagers on a regular basis that don't have any sort of biblical framework that are hearing the gospel for the first time. So, Jordan, the question I have for you is for for these kids that are coming in, what are the roadblocks that exist that keep them from coming to faith? I mean, there's so many, but what would you say are some of the primary ones that you've seen that stand in the way? Okay, for this answer, I'm going to reference the sermon that I preached this last week on Wednesday. Okay. In Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, it talks about Peter addresses how many, he calls them scoffers, they overlook the return of Jesus, and they deny that. And he says there's overwhelming evidence in Scripture that points to the return of Jesus. He says that the, old pro- the prophets talk about it, Jesus himself talked about it, the apostles talked about it, and yet people continue to deny and scoff at and mock the return of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's a specific thing, um, but you could extend that and say, why do certain people maybe mock God or reject God or they resist coming to faith in Jesus, and the text gives three reasons for it in First Peter chapter 3, but two I think are relevant to this conversation. Um, but one of them is the fact 
that people have sinful desires. And he says because people have sinful desires, especially in his day, they have rejected the idea of the return of Jesus. Or they may know about it, but they push it aside, and um, their sinful desires have led them to reject the idea of God or the return of Jesus so that they have a sort of built-in excuse to kind of live however they want or do whatever they want. Um, and then the other reason he gave was they overlooked the word of God. And scripture's clear about things. We can see scripture's clear about who God is um, and how to come to know him. But people overlook the word of God, even though it's, it's right there. And on Wednesday, we talked about how our sinful desires and overlooking the word of God are a lot of times they go hand in hand. Mm. And so I think a lot of teenagers these days are just like people 2,000 years ago where they have sinful desires and they want to live in light of those things. And with our culture right now, it's like our feelings and our passions are the authority in which we live by. And so I think a lot of teenagers are living by the authority of their feelings and in so doing want to follow their passions. And the text in Peter says they therefore deliberately intentionally overlook the word of God. Mm. And I think a lot of that comes back to just the sinful desires people have. And in so doing, they kind of push God aside and yeah, so I, I say there's a lot, but just going off of that text, just so I'm not bringing up a bunch of different points, I would say it's really people's sinful desires wow. that, that keep them from following Jesus. Yeah. Oh. So you, that's a reference from Second Peter. Second Peter, and yeah. You have been going through First Peter and Second Peter these last couple months yes. in CSM. So for as long as I've known you, it's about seven years now. Yeah. And that's a long time. Maybe eight, something like that. Something around there. You are, you're a meticulous guy, and and maybe a better word for that is strategic. You're very strategic uh-huh. and yeah. purposeful, and so I'm assuming, and more than that, I know that works its way into the way that you plan your preaching calendar and what you're going to take these teenagers through. So. Mm-hmm. I've asked Brent this question, and I guess I'm wondering if it's any different for teenagers than it is for adults. Uh, well, the first thing is I look at what we're preaching on Sundays, and I decide not to do that because okay. I don't want to contradict what we're doing on Sundays. Uh, but the the other thing is um, I, I obviously give careful thought to it in prayer, um, and I kind of look at where we've been in preaching. And if we've been mm-hmm. in the Old Testament for a while, we'll go New Testament. So for a while we were... I mean, we did Esther, we did Jonah, Nahum, and Job, and so we were in the Old Testament for a long time, so it was time to go to the New Testament. Um, I try to familiarize students with different genres, so if we've been in narrative for a while, I might go to epistle, um, and so that's that. And then, uh, But the biggest thing, I think, for me is just what's going on in our culture and what I think is uh, most necessary for them. Um, there's times where all Scripture is relevant, it's all necessary, but there's certain times where it just... It feels like it's even more necessary to talk about it, and with all this stuff going on in our culture, um, I felt it really necessary to, to preach through the letter of Second Peter um, and talk about how people distort the truth because that's happening in our culture. And so I think it's a lot of just what's happening in our world um, and trying to see what would be most beneficial at this time. Um, and there's, I mean, I could probably pick any book and it'd be beneficial, but right. there's certain ones that are more beneficial, I think, than others. So that's, yeah, and then I, I talk to Brent about it and vet that out, and if he gives me the green light, we go for it, and that's that. Awesome. And so you've gone through First Peter, you're closing out Second Peter here yep. soon, and then where are you going after that? We're going to Jude, okay, which is very similar to Second Peter, and it's a very short book. Yes. And then I do have an idea of what we're doing next, but I can't share that. It's 
classified information. It is classified. I'm yeah. hoping that once this microphone is turned off, then I can get the inside track on it. I'll tell you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're done here. Yep. Not falling for that one. Yeah.